Um, yeah, it's great to be with you guys. It's great to see you here. Um, this is my first kind of main Sunday back after I had a little baby a couple weeks ago, which is, which is very exciting. So um, thank you guys so much for all of your prayers. Um, and for those of you who've given us so many gifts and brought us food, you guys have been like super generous, and Haley and I have kind of been overwhelmed as our freezers have been overwhelmed with uh, your guys' generosity, and some of you guys are fantastic cooks. I mean, most of you. I, I shouldn't have quantified. Um, cooks great, happy us. Uh, amen. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. Haley and our baby Cora are both doing really well, and uh, we're excited about it. We're not sleeping much, but uh, we're excited. Um, so it's my pleasure today to be able to continue on this series that Craig launched into last week. It's just a short one, um, but it's just a, a follow-on, which is asking this question of why worship. And Craig did an amazing job last week as he kind of jumped in and gave a, uh, almost like the big theological underpinning, worship, which is this wonderful phrase of, it's not about us, which is sometimes really hard to remember because we're all really selfish and we like things done our own way. But it's so helpful to constantly be reminded that worship is an outflow because of who God is. And so there are days where we feel great, and so we worship him because of that. And then there are days where we feel terrible, but he's still worthy of our worship then. And there are some days where we're going to sing songs where we really like, and we'll join in when we'll worship. And then there are some days where people will sing songs that we don't really like, but we'll join in and we'll worship. Not because it's about us, but because it's about him. And so as we go forward today, it's really important to remember that theological underpinning because it kind of sustains everything we do after that. Um, but I thought today I wanted to focus in a little bit more specifically on music. But before I do that, I'd just love to open us up in prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together today to meet with you and to worship you and to give you praise, uh, we pray that by your Spirit you would meet us here this morning. We pray that you would open up your scripture, we pray that you'd open up your words to enable us to see more who you are, and specifically, God, how we use music and art to encounter you in a really special and unique way. So we praise you and we worship you this morning. Amen. So today we're going to talk about music. And let's be honest, music is wonderful, but it's also kind of complicated, eh? Um, I had, a, I had a friend when I was living in the UK, there was a big uh, camp similar to Easter camp there that was called Soul Survivor, and they had 10,000 people come from all over the country, and they have this uh, five-day kind of gathering and worship, um, amazing extravaganza, very similar to Easter camp. And I was chatting with this one non-Christian there, and I, I just loved her response. I was asking her how she was finding it, because it's pretty weird to suddenly get dropped into this crazy Christian festival when you're not a Christian because there's all this weird lingo and everyone's talking weird and doing weird things. And I was asking her kind of her, from her thoughts and her reflections what she thought. And what she said oh, really just made me laugh. She's like, oh, no, it's really good, really good. I'm really enjoying it. I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. Um, what are you enjoying the most? Like, what's really stuck out? She's like, oh, probably my favorite time is karaoke. And I was like, sorry? She's like, well, you know that, that time when we all get together and we do karaoke with the words on the screen and everybody sings together and... We all sing karaoke together, and I was like, touche, touche. What we do, it's true, it's, it's a little bit odd that, I mean, there's not many places in the world where grown adults will gather together and just sing, you know? Like, it might happen in the rugby field, but you got to have had a significant amount of alcohol to get you to the stage where you're happy to do that. But here in this church, there's this weird phenomenon where we come together and we use music and we sing. 
and we sing every single week. And not only do we sing, when you look at the structure of our service, we devote a third to nearly half of our time singing, which is quite a significant allotment of time, isn't it, really, in like the grand scheme of things. And so it's good for us to understand kind of why do we give this great place to singing? And because it's such a treasured place and it's such a personal thing, it's also been the result of a lot of uh, conflict and frustration. Anyone ever had the discussion about whether we should be singing hymns or modern choruses? Anyone had the discussion about whether drums should be in uh, the auditorium? Anyone had? <laughs> Darren hasn't had that discussion. <laughs> Anyone else had the discussion about the volume levels of when we worship? It's contentious. And it can be quite a frustrating thing as we try to grapple with one another to try and solidify what do we do when we sing. But something that makes me feel a little bit better when I was prepping for this sermon and I was looking kind of in the history, looking at church music throughout the history, because we've got this amazing rich tradition of song within our Christian faith. It made me laugh when I realized that in uh, about 1545, uh, the Roman Catholic Church had gathered together what was called the Council of Trent. And what it was is it was this chance for the Roman Catholic Church to gather together to um, put out a statement or decide what they think on a few really big issues. So right around that time, the Protestant Reformation was happening. So they had gathered together to kind of develop a response to that. But one of the things that they also talked about was music. And I kid you not, this is, this is, this is what happened. In the Council of Trent in 1545, church leaders charged that music within the Roman Catholic Church had become too lavish, was too hard to sing, and interfered with church liturgy or church structure. The musicians, on the other hand, pushed back and they felt that the council was trying to stifle their creativity and control their compositions. So even though it's contentious, at least we can rest in the knowledge that this has been going on for the past 500 years, uh, and if not, more than that. So there's this, there's this complicated dynamic to music and to worship. But what I want us to do is focus in on it, and I think there's two elements that even if you're not a singer, and even if music isn't your favorite thing, hopefully by the time we finish today, you can be like, oh, I can still see value in why we do what we do. So, singing. Why do we do it? Now, it'd be really easy for me as a, as a teacher to come out and say, well, we need to do it because the Bible tells us to. You know, in Psalm, it says, worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, speaking to one another with songs, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this sense where I could say, well, the Bible tells us to sing, so you have to sing. But really, that's kind of a, kind of a cop-out reason, isn't it? Just to say, well, we're just told to, so we're going to do it. I think there's some more richness in there of why specifically we use song and congregational singing to worship God. And so, one of the reasons I want to do that is I want you guys to, to pretend something with me. Can everybody stand up? Just real quick, just stand up. And uh, pretend you've walked in this morning. You've walked in and you're like, oh, this is cool. You know, and just walking into church. You made it in. And you make your way and you find your seat. So go ahead and sit down. <laughs> Good job. We're just going to try and pretend to be Catholic for the day. Um, <laughs> now, so you come in and you find your seat. And so I say, hey, guys, it's really good to see you this morning. Uh, like we normally do, it's really important that we begin our gathering today with praising God. Um, so for why don't we just go ahead and do that? Uh, can you just uh, go ahead and praise God?
Anyone else feel slightly awkward? Anyone else want to do this for 25 minutes? There's this sense when we gather to worship, we could come in and there's lots of ways we can worship God. We all know that. You can pray. You can, uh, you can write things. We could give money. Like There's lots of ways we can worship God. But in coming together, we want to start our services with this unifying aspect of we want to praise God. And so we could all pray. And so we could all pray at once, and that'd be cool. We'd probably have this big pray. Or, you know, we could have a few key people pray, and that, that'd be cool. But really, after about five minutes, you'd kind of be like, well, how about the next thing, eh? Instead, let's try something different. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. You're walking in, you're walking in, you're like, oh, cool, hey guys, it's good to see you, it's good to see you, why don't you take a seat, go take a seat. (laughs) And now what if we try this instead? Hey, this morning we really want to begin by worshiping and praising God, so why don't we sing this together? And oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. different, eh? Can you sense the difference? There's something about music and song that brings us together as one. There's this sense where all these different people and all these different angles come together and we sing with one voice. Music is this means by which singing, which we can all pray the same thing at one time. And we can use songs to develop this theology where we gather ourselves and with one voice, in a way that's so unique, we create one prayer as one family. And it doesn't matter whether you've come from this kind of background or that kind of background, it doesn't matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're young, whether you're old, and we gather together in song and we lift our voices, we're knit together as one body, one unit, one group singing together to praise God. And one of the even cooler things about this is that we're not just knit together here locally. Obviously, our our voices come together when we make one sound, which is great. But we're actually bound together with Christians and saints throughout time. When we sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I There's this song that's been sung for hundreds of years from Christians who had just moved into a new world, from slaves who were trying to find their freedom from oppression, from Christians who use it as a a song by which we can break the chains of slavery and find freedom. When we sing this, we're not just bound together here, but we join together with our Christian family that's gone before us in one voice 
continuing to praise God. Music and these songs unite us through time as one church, past and present. And song uniquely enables us to do that in a wonderful and powerful way. And now, at this point, you could say, well, that's cool, Colin, but I'm a really, really bad singer. Like, I'm a really bad singer. Like, I'm tone-deaf singer, so I don't really know how I can join in in the song. Well, I've got a little fun fact to share with you. Um, there are some people who would, you could classify as legitimately tone-deaf and can't carry a tune. There are there, but the, the population is significantly smaller than we like to attribute it to. You know, out of 100 people, you might have two or three people who physically can't carry a tune. But for most of us, there's this amazing phenomenon that happens with music. By yourself, singing in the shower, you can sing and think, oh, I sound really bad. Oh, I don't sound very good. But there's something about the human ear that when you come together and you sing with a group of people, your voice automatically and naturally shifts into pitch to be in sync with the people around you. It's the reason why you can get a whole bunch of really drunk blokes who are terrible singers to get to a rugby game and carry a tune. They're not great singers, but as they sing together, their ears kind of attune to one another, and their voices come into pitch with one another, and it creates this sound like a choir or chorus. And sure, not everybody will be on the pitch. Some might be a little bit above, or some might be a little bit below. But when you get all these voices together, it creates quite a wide sound. And this sound was so really loved is that in the 70s, once you got the development of new technology and you could digitally alter sound, one of the effects that came through was called a chorus. Where what you do is you affect the signal that's coming through and you detune it slightly and you raise the pitch slightly. And so what you're trying to do electronically is to create the same sound as a choir, as multiple people all singing at once. And so there's this wonderful thing about music that together all of us, even though we're maybe not the best singers, our, our imperfections make the song so much more beautiful. They add so much to it. Your voice and your voice and your voice as we sing together create a sound that I can't make by myself. We as a congregation make a sound that this worship team by themselves could never create. It's a unique sound, a sound made by all of us together joining our voices as one. And doesn't that communicate something of the body of Christ? Doesn't that communicate something about the nature of our faith, which is that our faith was never designed to be a solo affair? You were never meant to just be a Christian with just you and Jesus. You were always designed to be a part of his body, of his family, of his church. And so as we sing, not only do we connect with ourselves here, not do we only connect with our, our church past and present, there's the sense that by singing, we are enacting something of the gospel, which is this unifying that happens in and through Christ by the power of his spirit. We are physically doing something that demonstrates an aspect of the gospel. There's a passage from Paul where he's writing to the Corinthians, um, and it's a really famous passage, but I've tweaked it slightly to fit our, um, our context here. I want to read that to you, and hopefully none of you will do me in for sacrilege of changing the words of scripture. Um, Paul writes to the Corinthians saying, the choir is a unit. And though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one choir. So it is with Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit into one unit, whether sopranos or altos, tenors or basses, 
we were all given one spirit to follow. And now the choir is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the altos should say, because I'm not a soprano, I don't belong to the choir, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the choir. And if the tenor should say, because I'm not a bass, I do not belong to the choir, they would not for that reason cease to be a part of the choir. If the whole choir were altos, where would the harmony be? And if the whole choir were tenors, where would the bass be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the choir, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. And if they were all one, and if they were all one part, where would the full choir and the fullness of God's great song and gift to the world be? As it is, there are many parts, but one choir. Our song together embodies this unifying, together nature of our faith, as our voice creates something unique every single Sunday as an offering of praise and worship to God. I think that's quite cool. Now, the, the second thing that I often hear about music that I want us to focus in on is uh, music's too emotional. You, you ever heard this phrase? I've, I've heard it a lot. I mean, being a worship leader, you end up in kind of different discussions with things about different music, about whether it's good or whether it's not good. But one of the common things that I hear, oh, well, music and worship, it's just, it's really emotional. Um, you know, it's just an emotional experience that people will leave from and it doesn't have any bearing on their lives. Or I've had, a, I've had other people come up to me and say, well, Colin, I, you know, I understand that music's important but I, I don't want you to musically, emotionally manipulate anyone. So just trying to make the music not too emotive. We don't want the music to become too emotional because we don't want to manipulate people into a response. Which is always kind of baffling to me. Because in one sense, you're like, but isn't that what music's made to do? Isn't that why we sing rather than just talk? Rather than just chant? We could chant the words. Someone's saying to a musician, don't use music to affect people's emotions. It's like saying to a landscape artist, hey, look, we want you to paint the scenery, but we don't want you to use any color because it's a little too exciting. So I just want you to use a pencil. The thing is, underlying that view is this subtle thought of music's just something that we get through. We come in and we sing our 15 or 20 minutes of songs as a buffer to make sure that if anyone arrives late, they can sneak in without anyone knowing what's happened. Um, and if you don't like the singing, then you can show up a little bit late and show up for the last song and then get in to where the real part of the service happens, the real meat, which is the sermon. Yeah? That's where, that's where God really deals with us. That's where God really gets a hold of us, the real, the word. You know? Anyone else ever heard that? Anyone else ever walked through that? Anyone else ever thought that? Part of the, the, it, there's an issue with that line of thinking, which dates back a few hundred years. Uh, back a few hundred years ago, there was this development and change of thought within Western civilization where people were coming to uh, acknowledge the power of facts, concrete, concrete things. They realized that truth is observable and it's quantifiable and it has to be able to be measured. And so the things that are of most important are things that we can statistically prove. And so logic, rationale, reasoning, uh, facts-based science became incredibly important in the world. And what it meant is that things that were no longer objective, things that were subjective or had to do with the inner world, well, they couldn't be proven. They didn't have statistical grounding. They didn't have a way you could objectively say that emotion is true or that emotion isn't true. And so what happened is that progressively there developed this split within popular thinking where rational obser observable facts were the real meat of society and emotions or subjective thoughts or experiences were vapid or not to be trusted 
or not to be dealt with because we don't know how to deal with them. So we'll spend time working here with concrete facts. This style of thinking worked its way through the church, and it happens so often in the church where teachers and theologians around the time became incredibly fascinated with just making sure we teach the right beliefs. We had to change people's thought patterns. We had to change their beliefs. If they just knew the right orthodox way to say that Jesus is the Christ, then that'll be what's good. And so everything became geared to changing your thinking. But obviously now we can all look back and what's happened in postmodernity is we realize is that emotions and subjectivity are a lot more in deep than we thought they were. Even our rational thought processes, the way our brain physically works is you will have an emotional reaction to something before you have a rational one. You can't help it. That's just the way we're wired. Your brain will physically have an emotional response to some event or some trauma before you have any ability to rationally think through it. And so one of the things that music does really well is it incorporates this aspect that we are holistic beings. And Jesus talked about this when they were asking Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He answered, love the Lord with all your rational thought, and then you'll be right. If you just have the right thinking belief, you'll be perfect in life. No. What did, what did Jesus say? He answered, the Lord, he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, when the gospel interacts with us, it doesn't just interact with our mind. It doesn't just interact with right beliefs. It's a terrible thought if we just think that, okay, well, if we just rationally believe that Jesus died for our sins and then that's all that I need to do because I've got right orthodox belief in my head, you are missing the whole scope of the gospel because the gospel deals with us as whole people. The gospel deals with our fears. The gospel deals with our doubt. The gospel deals with our jealousy, with our pride, with our selfishness. Yes, some of those stem from more rational thoughts that can be addressed through concrete things, but so many of those are also emotionally based that are deep set into our hearts and minds, and they need God to speak at a deeper level than just words to beginning to work through those. I don't know if any of you have ever been to this point, but there comes a moment for many of us in life when you reach a place of grief or a place of joy where words completely fall short, where you can't even get close to communicating that same thing If you've lost a loved one, saying I'm sad just doesn't cut it. If you're... There's this aspect of us which is holistic. There's this emotional part of us which informs our rational thought that needs to be addressed by the gospel and music is uniquely placed to do that as well. Let me give you an example. There's a... There's a, there's a famous song that, uh, well, I'd say it's an old song, but with the way Craig talks about old songs with Darren, it's probably like a year-old song. Um, but it's an old song called Blessed Be Your Name, and uh, it was written, written a while ago. And I want to show you the difference that music can make, even though the words stay the same, how much a difference music can make in the message and the place that the song hits when we sing. So it, uh... Oh. Lighten that one up. So it's a pretty famous song, Blessed Be Your Name, right? You have the, the bridge. Is, uh... You give and take away. You give. 
your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your glorious name You guys know this song? Yeah Pretty famous song, pretty happy song. It's a great opening song. As people are walking into church, and you're like, all right, let's get people excited and remind them they're awake this morning. So come on in, let's do a happy song. Da, 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 da. It's good. It's got movement. But the truth is there's a story behind this song which communicates more than just a happy, clappy, let's praise God because life is good. The song was actually written back in 2001, right after the September 11th attacks. Uh, when Matt Redman was in the States and he was there in these churches, his churches were suddenly scoping and reaching and desperately searching for a way to grasp what has happened and how do they praise God in the midst of such pain, of such loss, of such difficulty. And he wrote this song. And the way we musically have moved that song through, it's morphed into a happy worship song. But I wonder if I just change a little bit. I wonder if you might hear a different aspect to the song than you've heard before. Give and take away, give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Well, blessed be your name. You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Can you feel the difference? The words are exactly the same, same exact words. But music enables us to communicate something about the divine, something about our experience with the divine that goes deeper than words. It's this holistic approach to our bodies and ourself where we sing and we join together words and music, rational thought and emotion, and we bring our whole selves to God with one offering and say, God, here we are as whole people, and we bring all of ourselves to you. And again, through music, we, we physically embody this. It's the same reason that Mary... When she first hears that she is going to give birth to Jesus, what does she do? She writes a song because she needs a means to communicate the wider depth and grasp of this divine nature in a way that is poetic and it, it goes beyond just words. It encapsulates something mysterious, something divine, something emotional. And she writes, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. I only wish we could discover and hear the melody with which she sang this. Would it have been joyful? Happy at the deliverance of her people? Would it have been mournful? Encapsulating the grief that they, set, they, spent, they felt in the last 500 years as a nation? Would it have been a mix or a twinge of both? Music communicates in a, words, in, a, in, a, in a way that goes deeper than words alone. And when we gather to sing, there's this holistic aspect to what we do. And it's unique. And it's us embodying the gospel, again, in a unique way. Now, it's, it's important that we don't get too crazy about it. The truth is, it'll change. The music, the forms that music will take will change. If we can remember church music 50 years ago, it's dramatically different than it is now, isn't it? Go back 100 years ago, and it's even more different than it is now. Go back 500 years ago, and it's even more different than it is now. If we go ahead 50 years, those of us now who are on the cutting edge who love electric guitars and music are probably going to be people who are like, oh, I wish people would just go back to electric guitars like in the old days and be spiritual without all their weird digital replication of things. <laughs> of, course, of course it will change. Of course the mode and the method will change, as it does with every culture and every generation reinterpret songs for themselves in a new, fresh way, as it should be. It should continue to develop. But these core tenets which is us singing together, us being bound as one family, as one people, in one voice, in one song, and us bringing our whole selves, our minds, our wills, our emotions, our bodies, all together in one offering of praise to God. That will stay the same. That's been in the Christian church for 2,000 years. And if the Lord doesn't return, then it'll be in the church for another 2,000 years. The form around it will change, but the means by which we embody this gospel and this song of praise will carry through. We are a singing people as we worship God together. I'm going to close by having us sing one song together. Um, some of you may know it, some of you may not, but what I like about this song is that it, it encapsulates a little bit of the story. The song is called Doxology, and uh, the music from it the earliest records that we have come from over 500 years ago. It didn't have the same words at that time, but we've got musical notation of how it was being sung in different churches and played in different churches in different ways. So we've got, excuse me, we've got this melody that's been going on for years. And then in the 18th century, they wrote some new words to it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below, praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The song was written. Those words were penned and joined to this melody 200 years ago. And then recently, in the last 10 years, another group has added a few more verses to it. And the verses are fantastic and outstanding. And then today I've changed it up a little bit so that it fits us in our context. And what I like about it is, again, we have this song that embodies that journey. It's a music, it's a melody 
that goes before us. It's songs that go before us that have been adapted and changed. And as we together, we join with the music and bring our whole selves, our whole emotions, our whole thoughts in one voice into one expression of praise to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So would you stand as we sing this song together? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sing that again. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son,
that first verse again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. we join our voices together in praise to you. As one voice, as one people who sung this song, both now and who sung it before us, and for those who will sing after us, we join together as one people, one church, in giving you praise, bringing our whole selves, our whole bodies, our joys, our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our sadness, our grief, our love, our adoration, our praise, all ourselves we bring to you. And we give you praise because you deserve nothing less than all of us. So we worship you. We praise your holy name. This week, let us be a people who sings your praises everywhere we go. And that your song would spread from this church over this city and over this nation and over this world that we would all be singing your praises together. We worship you, Heavenly Father. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. If there's any of you want prayer for anything, any reason at all, there's a team here who would love to pray with you. Uh, if not, be blessed. Go with God.